Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Focus Radio, you are tuned in 
to KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and you might be listening on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. I am your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to get started with the last show, or the last week of the month, the show of the last week of the month is what I'm really trying to say. Unfortunately, we will not be able, or we will not be hearing from Brother Malik because uh, CDC small r has decided to what I call human traffic um, Brother Malik from the California quote healthcare facility uh, to RJ Donovan Correctional Facility. The man is 77 years old, um, and I think he was at uh, the California healthcare facility for a reason. So uh, we know that uh, there's nothing or there is too much medical neglect and abuse that is taking place within these facilities all over the um, California prisons, um, even in the California healthcare facility as well. I hope that you, um, if any, for any of you that have been listening to this show, uh, um, you may have, uh, you may recall um, some of the articles that I read from Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a talking about the, um, the medical, uh, abuse, neglect, and just really corruption that's taking place over there. Nonetheless, um, you know, it's supposed to be state-of-the-art, and some people are feeling like they are experiencing some of the -the state-of-the-art medical, uh, uh, you know, uh, care that they get there. But I don't believe that R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility will be able to I'll give the kind of care that probably Brother Malik needs. So again, he is an elder, 77 years old. Um, we've been listening to his story about his transformation uh, from uh, Little Leroy to Brother Malik, and I hope we are going to get back to it uh, sooner rather than later, but um, not this week because I have not yet heard from him. Um, so with that said, I... Um, what it has made space for is a couple of incredible articles that I would like to read. One from our dear brother Zaribu, um, Michael Durow, and uh, I love uh, his commentary, I, his his beautiful mind, his beautiful heart. Um, he is, and his his wisdom is just so apparent in his um, in his articles and even in the many discussions that I've had with him. So we are going to be hearing, um, I'm going to be reading a piece that he wrote and it's not really, it doesn't have a title, um, but it was, a, so we'll get to that, sorry. And then um, we're also going to read a couple of, uh, another piece that came uh, um in this uh, package um, from um, another prisoner, uh, William Curl. We're going to be reading a piece that he wrote and a piece by Kevin Rashid Johnson. Uh, so uh, Za and Michael Curl are in uh, California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility. I don't know why Za is there because drugs, you know, dealing with um, substances is not, um, is not an issue of his. Um, but, um, and Kevin Rashid Johnson 
is in Virginia. And we actually might read a couple of pieces by uh, Kevin Rashid because the, his most recent piece is quite short. Uh, but we are going to also listen to some, some good music in between. And um, so please stay tuned. I hope you'll stay with me the whole hour. And for those of you that come regularly, thank you so much for supporting this very, very precious hour. I'm going to um, shout out and give my thanks also to KPOO, all the people at KPOO that provide this hour. Um, again, you know, the voices of our prisoners uh, do not have many places for them. So again, it's very, very precious. So thank you so much, KPOO and the staff here for all of your support and uh, care in this in this issue and for all of you that are listening and for new listeners i hope you like what you hear again you can always reach me at end slavery now nine at gmail.com give me give me some feedback um you know give me some commentary tell me what you like what you don't like or what you would like to hear if you're not hearing it if you have suggestions um I, I want to hear from you, and I am grateful for you being here. And if you do like it enough, please let others know and uh, listen. Um, and you can also get this um, anywhere that you get your podcasts and uh, by going to kpoo.com if you um, want to hear earlier shows. All right, here's our dear brothers all. Greetings and solidarity. The purpose of this writing is in the hope that we might be able to have a discussion about and around what change within the prison industrial complex and beyond should look like. Perhaps if we can envision what it might look like, we can begin to look at these issues through a lens, a framework, that will require that we rethink our strategies upon which our struggle is based. Without question, there has been some significant and magnificent changes that have occurred through the legislative process that has resulted in the release of some very deserving people, revolutionary thinkers, those efforts are ongoing. I must ask though, why are the stories of those people who have been released not being told? Those stories represent the very best examples of why the new laws work and why the legislative process is an important ally in our struggle. Many of the people who have been released would not have gotten out except for the new resentencing laws. We are talking about people who had been enslaved for 30, 40, and 50 plus years. Their stories need to be told because it is also the most definitive way for communities, society, to actually hear what transformation looks and sounds like. Their stories represent all that is racist, misogynistic, homophobic, classist, and anti-youth within the system. Their stories represent a blueprint upon which change, meaningful and permanent change, is based. Efforts should be made to establish podcast programs in which these women and men have the opportunity to share their stories, their wisdom, with viewers, communities, in desperate need of answers, understanding, and the opportunity to give back, to grow collectively, and to heal. Collectively from the generational trauma that we have all suffered and continue to suffer as a result of the ideology of white supremacy and the system of patriarchy and all of the tools that have been and are used to pit people against each other and to maintain this system of hate. For those people who may ask themselves, 
Why should I support issues like this? The men and women who were formerly incarcerated are in the best position to provide them with the answers that they need. This also represents the most effective reason why, for why a community release board, a CRB, is absolutely necessary. We continue to engage in discussing about change with the very people that are responsible for our oppression. And as a result, the framework that these discussions continue to take place in continues to be the framework that was developed by the controlling ideology of white supremacy and the system of patriarchy. Whatever power we think we might have is therefore given to us by the people in those positions of power. We then use the power that has been given to us to oppress further uh, the uh, uh, um, uh, or another underserved, underrepresented community. And since that or those communities have always been oppressed, and because what white supremacy and patriarchy has done over a period of centuries is to pit people against each other in order to maintain its power, we do not consider it to be any different than what or how it has always been. The historical record is glaringly bright with examples, and we do not have to go back far to see. What is happening in Los Angeles and San Francisco are two examples. The recording that was exposed of the conversation between local politicians was and is a great example of how this works. Any power that the politicians who engaged in the discussion think they have would have been power that the white political establishment allowed them to have. And the discussion about the hostilities between the new African and Latino community, specifically the Mexican community, is only being discussed within the framework of Los Angeles history. As if these two specific communities have not had and enjoyed principles and productive, a principled and productive history with each other dating back hundreds, perhaps thousands of years. All we have to do is remember that Mexico opened its doors to the African people who were fleeing slavery or the pyramids through the Americas, and the relationship between African and the Americas is obvious. Just like colonial rule, what white male supremacy and patriarchy must do is to convince its subjects that its interest and their, the subject, interest is one and the same. That is, the best that is best reflected in how we treat each other once we are entrusted with maintaining the system of power. The mayor and district attorney of San Francisco are great examples of this, and because they are women and have black skin, there is a sincere reluctance to criticize them. San Francisco should be ashamed of itself. Its conduct today runs contrary to its magnificent history. We also see how it manifests itself on the world stage in countries like Rwanda and the Congo. The two current justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas and Kavanaugh, are two examples of how that power works and looks. Both were accused of assaulting the humanity of women. Two incredibly credible women. The power of white supremacy and patriarchy did not care. And it disdainfully rejected these women and both sit on the Supreme Court today. Neither of them would be on the court today without the support of some women. That is what our being convinced that our interests and the interests of the people that oppress us are one and the same. And that is power. At minimum, no one can disregard that Mumia did not get a fair trial. In spite of this, he, can got, he cannot get a new trial because defenders of white supremacy and patriarchy, police unions in particular in Philadelphia, object to it. Kyle Rittenhouse, the young white supremacist who armed himself with an illegally purchased assault rifle and went to another community to protect the 
property interest of whites and shot and killed two anti-racist protesters was protected by the court in which he was tried. The judge ruled that the protesters who were slaughtered could not be referred to as protesters or victims, that young Rittenhouse was acquitted should come as no surprise. When the courts engage in this kind of conduct, it is letting us know that its interest and the interest of the Kyle Rittenhouses are one and the same. That is power. How often is that we hear friends and colleagues of police officers who slaughter unarmed black and brown bodies in a hail of gunfire or horrific beatings say that the officers who committed these atrocities were decent people and how shocked they were to hear of these things happening. Let's for a moment consider. If they were decent, honorable people, what turned them into such animals that lynched the people in their custody because of their black and brown skin? What kind of system could produce such a thing? And how could a person not know that they were being transformed into such a creature? What kind of system could be so destructive that it causes someone with black skin to look at someone with black skin and not see a reflection of him or herself and instead see a thing and then subject that person to the inhumanities that we have all witnessed? The system that is responsible for creating these monsters have a duty to protect their creations, and that is why we always see it reported that the people who were murdered may or did have a criminal background, as if this is a justification for the killing of the person. The system of white supremacy and patriarchy is responsible for the creation of these monsters. If we are going to use the legislative process to change the laws, why won't we also utilize the tools that are available in that process, such as the recall process? Why is it that only right-wing ideologues use the recall process as a tool or weapon as a means of voicing their opposition to a person who holds an office? The activist community relies heavily on the Democratic Party for some support on legislative issues, but some people within the Democratic Party seem to be willing to subordinate themselves to right-wing conservatives. Because the message that we need to share with the communities that we serve is a progressive revolutionary one. We cannot rely on the various media forms to help. Our message runs contrary to the state's interest. We should be engaged in town hall type of gatherings, at parks, auditoriums, churches, wherever people gather, providing people with the information that will result in our being supportive of each other. We should be asking of our legislators that hearings be held and people be allowed to provide testimonies at these hearings, and that these testimonies will form the basis for kinds of changes that need to take place. And because these testimonies will come from former and current prisoners, community activists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, the families of former and current prisoners, these families and communities have been robbed of their most valuable resources, each other. These are people and communities who have been stripped of their futures as a result of mass incarceration. Change must also have everything to do with history not repeating itself. We should be engaging constantly with the communities about the importance of extending the right to vote to the incarcerated populations and organizing the voting bloc in ways that will result in our becoming empowered. We are not making our votes count. It has not resulted in our empowerment. We really do have to commit ourselves to coming together. The world is not falling apart. It has already come apart. We have to commit ourselves to dismantling the system that does nothing but create monsters and choke the life out of us. The Board of Parole hearings should not be reformed. 
it should be dismantled in its entirety. How can anyone possibly think that the Board of Parole Hearings, BPH, is fair? There is an incarcerated person here, an older prisoner named Roland Berry. He is a Mexican out of the Los Angeles Watts area. He has been incarcerated for more than 20 years, and he was one of the soldiers who was buried in solitary confinement. He is 70 plus years old, validated. He was denied parole for three years during the last hearing. He is in prison for driving on a forged driver's license. He was struck out as a result of this charge. He has served more than 20 years for having a forged license. The BPH has never been fair with him, and it is all based on his history. Indeed, it is his history that has him in prison now. Take away that history, and he would have been out of prison years ago. We actually send people to prison, warehouse them for decades, bury them in solitary confinement for having a forged license. William Curl came to prison at the age of 17 years old. He was sentenced to life without parole. He is now 47 years old. And although growth is an ongoing, lifelong process, he has done the kind of work he has done the kind of work on himself, in spite of the many, many obstacles that exist in the warped and dysfunctional prison environment that compels us to ask, when is punishment done? These places are full of people who should not be here. They will not have the opportunity to be considered for release if it is left up to the BPH. This is why we need to really push hard for the creation of a community release board. There is a discussion underway about prison reform and the model being used in Norway developed here in the U.S., and in particular in California. The question that we must ask is, why is the Norway successful? That reason for the success is what the model must be based on. At least part of the reason why this model is successful is because most of the people in Norway are committed to and invested in prison reform justice. The people of Norway take the position that when a person has harmed a community, and it seems like most of the people in Norway take the position that when community is harmed, then they are all harmed, that person will be separated from the community society and that person will be provided with every available tool to assist him or her in their rehabilitation. The goal seems to be to try as best as possible to ensure that upon a person's release, they will not harm another community. We are not caring enough to make this happen. And those of us who do care do not seem to care enough to fight with the kind of fire needed collectively to demand that this programming be developed. In order for this to succeed, the larger community must be involved. We must not allow something as important as this turn into or be reduced to just another capitalist enterprise. We are living in a time in which children are being robbed of their childhood. We are introducing our children to things under the guise of preparing them for the future that is doing nothing but corrupting them. We are allowing what we think public safety should consist of to be decided by the very people and institutions that put us all at risk. We think that we can legislate our way out of gun violence, acts of hate, when we should realize by now that you cannot legislate hate. Legislation is not a preventative measure. It only matters after an act has already been done, a life lost, a community harmed, a life destroyed. We really believe that guns, which are nothing more than a mindless piece of metal, do not kill people, 
but people do. Guns take on the personality of its user. user. If you put a gun in the hands of a misogynist, he is going to disrespect the humanity of a woman. If you put a hand, gun in the hands of a racist white supremacist, he or she is going to disrespect the humanity of non-white people through slaughter. If you put a gun in the hands of a homophobic, he or she will use that weapon to take the lives of people while they enjoy themselves at a club. Based solely on their sexuality. No amount of legislation will change that kind of thinking or the thinking of those who are influenced by this hate. It is a lot easier to confine issues such as this to gun control because that does not require that we think about and address the larger questions, questions that have to do with who we really are, what we really are. We have intentionally failed to address the centuries of hate, of trauma that have passed has passed from one generation to the next, and we have chosen to simply allow this crap to play itself out. He used the other word. Look at where we are today. We know that there is a mental health crisis throughout the whole of society, in these prisons as well as out in the larger society. And yet we will not demand that treatment, meaningful, principled treatment, be provided to people who are incarcerated. This prison is nothing but a mental institution. There is absolutely no meaningful treatment program in place to provide anyone with meaningful treatment. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with a psychologist and he started telling me about the problems he was having and how hard his life was. Hell, he had issues that he needed help with. Without question, there is a serious problem with not enough psychologists and psychiatrists to treat the overwhelming number of people in prison. But the resources to fix that, fix that part of the problem does exist. There is no commitment to do so. There should be a specific, excuse me, there should be specific prisons that house people with mental health issues. They are housed within the general populations now, or at least the people with serious mental health issues. This would not eliminate the mental health program being maintained in the general populations. There is a need for it. Without question, more mental health providers should be hired. They should not and cannot continue to be people with support, who subordinate themselves to administrative politics. They must be people who are committed to providing quality care to prisoners and patients. This might not be possible unless people on the streets become involved in this. And I believe that we all, both inside and out, have a responsibility to engage in this. People with serious mental health issues are coming home. They cannot and should not be coming home to either a system that offers no help or one that is just as lacking in quality care as where they just left. When we go to the polls and vote, we are voting to elect a person to an office who represents the voters' interests who put him or her there. Our communities are called underserved and underrepresented because we have hardly anyone who does actually represent our interests. These communities include not only communities of color within the larger society, but the prison community as well. And this has been the case for a very long time. And this is our fault. We seem to have gotten so used to telling ourselves that there is nothing that we can do to change this that we have convinced ourselves, convinced ourselves that it's true. And it is not. We have more power than we think. We can change this. We must set aside our differences and come together. Our differences are not of our doing. We are and have been pitted against each other for far too long. Whatever power we think we have, we are expected to use in ways to exploit and oppress each other. Underserved and upper, 
underrepresented people in communities fight against each other for what little is given to us. We do not compete with each other for anything. As free market principles claim, we compete against each other for everything. Jobs, housing, education, food, and clothing. We compete, compete against each other for what little housing is available in poor communities, and in doing so, we push others out too, out into the street. The, the animosities that this creates only serves to push us further apart. Because this kind of divide and conquer get down, sorry, because this kind of divide and con conquer get down has existed for centuries. The animosities run deep. We start to see everything from businesses being put in our communities to recreational programs at community parks being created as efforts to push us further away from and out of our communities. We consider other poor people, people of color, to be culprits. That is how we have been conditioned to think. It serves to maintain the system that is responsible for all of our oppression. Consider this. We are supposedly the wealthiest nation on earth. The resources to do exist. Capitalism will not allow these resources to be used in ways that benefit us all. In order for capitalism to work, there has to be people at the bottom of the barrel, and it is necessary for those people, the working poor, to fight each other for crumbs left. Within these poor communities, there is a fight for survival taking place. We can do something about this. It is going to require that we do to require that we not continue to look at this at life through the lens of the oppressor we must demand to be treated decently we must be willing to fight for it and we must be willing to fight until we get what we demand prison reform rehabilitation requires that communities be connected to this effort prisoners must be housed in facilities as close to their families and loved ones as possible or at least as close as possible to their support base Rehabilitation should exist of, among other things, helping prisoners who want to mentor young people develop in this area. Podcast programs can and should be established that would allow prisoners to provide advice to young people, in particular, who call in asking for guidance. We cannot hope to develop programs that offer hope inside of these prisons, only to have efforts being made in the larger society to bring people back to prison continue. Prison is not the only place in which you have this warped sense of what adulthood is. This same warped sense of who and what we are and want to be also exists out there. It is part of how the generational trauma that we have all been subjected to has impacted us. Our struggle must also include a place for healing collectively. Every country that the colonizers invaded from Africa to the Americas, they have not only subjected the native populations to inhumanities, but they subjected them to trauma. And some of the colonizers themselves were fleeing trauma that they had been subjected to. This country has not taken a day off from that trauma. There is a great book entitled My Grandmother's Hands by Rizma Menachem that addresses this gorgeously. In spite of what we may think, fascism is already here upon us. Although there is a Democratic and Republican party, these parties really do constitute a one-party system. They are both about maintaining the ideology of white supremacy and the system of patriarchy. They both believe in the legitimacy of capitalism. Not everybody 
Sorry, not everyone in the Democratic Party believes in it. There are some brilliantly passionate people who genuinely do serve the people's interests. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, uh, Omar El Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashid Tlaib, uh, Jamal Bowen, and Maxine Waters, Cori Bush, Summer Lee, Barbara Lee, Karen Bass, to name a few. We really are going to have to start to think in terms of supporting third-party candidates, along with politicians such as those who were just mentioned. The Socialist Party, Communist Party, we are only limited by how we have been influenced to think of these ideologies as unpatriotic. unpatriotic. These are political parties that represent the interests of the people. The people are their constituents. In the process of engaging with the communities, we should provide them with accurate information about what these terms really mean so that they will be able to make informed decisions about who and what they want to support. We must assume responsibility for our liberation now. We are not powerless. We just think we are. There is a room in the book of history, that book that contains history, sorry, the book that contains history that has already been written for everyone's story and for everyone's contribution. We must fill those pages with how we loved freedom so much that we fought passionately for it. Please take care. Love and struggle. Za. Zaribu Kambon. And you can write to him at Michael R. Doreau, D-O-R-R-O-U-G-H. His prison number is D83611. He is at Sadif, S-A-T-F, uh, 11 B3 9 5L, P.O. Box 5248, Corcoran, California 93212. And um, I can't wait to actually speak with Za um, about uh, this beautiful article because he knows that when he uses words like you know, reforming prison. Um, <laughs> I, I get to do a little gentle uh, pushback um, because I, 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 I don't think that we really can um, uh, reform these prisons like we can't reform the police state, right? There's a dismantling that needs to, to be done. But I hope you really hear where he's coming from and, and really what he means, even though he uses those words. But I'm so I'm going to encourage you, as I have suggested from the beginning, to please, um, you know, put your uh, your put your thoughts um, into it into an email and send it to enslaverynow9 at gmail.com. It's a number nine enslaverynow, the number nine at gmail.com, because Zaw started this as we should have a discussion, right? Um, people like Zaw constantly working to improve their understanding um, and continue to do the deep work um, for, yes, just continue to do the deep work um, of improving themselves and, um, and gaining just a deeper understanding and then sharing that. They love to be in discussion. So because we are not a live show, uh, this is how we can do it. And it also gives each of us on, on both sides of the wall an opportunity to let, um, you know, the words sink in and we can, you know, go more in depth. 
So I do encourage us to do so. But really what he's saying is that we really have to take um, a deeper perspective with ourselves and share with each other uh, the way forward for our liberation and the building of our power and the dismantling of these uh, thought processes that have us thinking that we have no power. So um, thank you so much, Za, uh, for this um, uh, for this beautiful article. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break with Open Your Eyes, You Can Fly by Liz Wright.
All right, if you are just joining us, you are tuned into Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, or you might be listening on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. I just finished reading an article by our dear Zaribu Kambon around the dismantling of the prison industrial slave complex, our need for uh, our unity to be successful in our own liberation. And, um, and he was just talking about some of the things that uh, he sees uh, that can be, you know, looked at and discussed. And uh, if you want to hear that, if you are, again, if you are just joining us, uh, you can um, hear the archives wherever you get your podcast and also by going to kpoo.com. Okay. We are going to, as I said in the beginning, um, also read a piece by William Curl, who was also at the California Substance Abuse and Treatment Facility. No, Substance, yes, yeah, Substance Abuse and Treatment Facility, yes. So this is a piece on the Community Release Board as an effective alternative to the Board of Parole hearings. Here we go. At 18, I was arrested for a gang-related murder. After reviewing my extensive juvenile record during sentencing, the judge looked up from the transcript he held and said, It's obvious society has failed you, young man, and I won't repeat the same mistake. I don't know exactly what I expected him to say, but if society had already failed me, him not repeating that mistake meant to my way of thinking, my perspective, he intend intended to help in some way. Of course, that was a stretch of my imagination. His next words were, I sentence you to life without the possibility of parole, LWAP. Under what logic would LWAP benefit me? Or maybe the question should be, under what perspective? LWAP meant I'd be existing without the basic levels of hope that I discovered through re-education, to be responsible for helping generations find light during dark times like slavery, the Holocaust, world wars, when our humanity was painfully tested. It also represented a legal subjugation to irredeemable human being status. That judge's statement served as a line in the sand of perspectives that clearly defined opposing views responsible for putting conservative versus liberal, punitive justice versus restorative justice, ultimately creating that us versus them mentality. Back then, this slow, very torturous death sentence, LWAP, was appropriate because I had no idea how to properly process emotional trauma from my childhood, and that made me a danger to myself and my community. For that, I deeply apologize and will dedicate the remainder of my days making amends to restore some balance to the suffering, the destruction I caused in the community. Speaking of my community, or speaking of community, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial deepened my understanding of this concept. The compassionate way the judge and jury responded to his case made me realize the statement my judge made transcended what my immature mind believed was aligned with California's infamous lock em up, throw away the key mentality. I was way off. His words had deeper implications. I mean, here's this white teenager who apparently had an affection for white supremacy ideology, judging from the photos he took with various hate group members. 
Frustrated with the protest against racism and police brutality, Rittenhouse loads an assault rifle, crossed state lines into another community, and two protesters were left dead in the streets. At his sentencing, the judge said, I'm not going to ruin this young man's life. Rittenhouse was released. I could detail all the bias involved in comparing my case to his, but I'll only touch on community and the influence it has on perspective for purposes of this writing. Before I get into the importance of perspective and its intimate connection to interpretation, I've got to reference the U.S. Constitution as the best example of this. If left to the Founding Fathers' perspective, all men created equal meant white men. At that time, this group of colonizers felt oppressed and not equally treated. The inalienable rights they spoke of was on point as an ideal limited only by the idea of white supremacy. As society evolved, morally, so did its perspective and the interpretation of all men created equal included women, Negroes, the LGBTQ community, disabled citizens. The Constitution apparently felt that peer involvement in settling legal disputes was important because it guarantees a jury of our peers before our freedom can be legally taken. It can only be logical to also have a review board of our peers to determine if I, we, get my freedom restored. This is why a CRB, a Community Release Board, is vital to creating a fair, just review process. The way I see it, members of my community will see me, us, as a community member asking to return to the community after articulating the source of my past dysfunctional thinking, criminal, and how that led me to me demonizing, dehumanizing members of the community. Having a CRB won't lessen the suitability standards, but it would process its decisions through an unbiased restorative justice lens and natural community sense. I'm on my 29th year of incarceration. My last act of violence was almost 15 years ago. As I write, the California Supreme Court has a case pending that will decide if LWAPs, like myself, will be treated in accord with youth offender statutes that mandates a parole suitability review after a minimum of 25 years. Ten years ago, My biggest fear was waking up finally deciding that today would be the day when tomorrow no longer matters, accepting the reality that no matter how genuine my transformation is, I will die a changed man in an unchanging environment. Now my biggest fear is finally getting the opportunity to be reviewed by the BPH after making it to a medium security level 2 prison, obtaining a GED, currently chasing an AA degree in communications becoming a facilitator in self-help groups, and very close to becoming a certified HVAC technician, only to be denied parole for a write-up. In California, when an inmate breaks rules, write-ups are issued and privileges lost. That fails to meet future dangerousness nexus required to deny parole. During COVID, it was impossible for the inmate population to create six feet distance in this dorm setting. Privacy curtains are not allowed in the CDCR, and a write-up of this nature would certainly result in at least a three-year denial with no evidence that using a sheet as a means to slow the spread of COVID proves a high risk that a person would be a danger to the community. These types of decisions are the norm because the BPH is processing issues that amount to a relapse 
equivalent to a speeding ticket in society, through a punitive justice lens, and that ignores the potential for relapse after we've completely transformed through mental, emotional, spiritual reawakening. Hopefully, the potential in the CRB's role attracts the support needed to replace the decades-long practice of extending time behind these walls for reasons having nothing to do with safety of a community member. Let's give power back to the people to determine the fate of its people. In solidarity, William Curl. His number is K47268. And uh, he didn't give his, well, he gave his number. And so um, he's of the LWAP community, SATF B Yard. And of course, the address is Substance Abuse Treatment Facility, P.O. Box 5248, Corcoran, California, 93212. All right, solutions and perspectives from the people inside who are actually experiencing it. We must continue to hear from our people exactly what Zah was also talking about, how we really need to get to hear more from the people that actually have been released. And I, um, that's something that we try to do here. So we will be working on that, um, getting more voices from the people that are um, already out as well. All right, we are going to read this latest piece by Kevin Rashid Johnson, which is a perfect segue into uh, next month's um, focus, which is going to be on the Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our Elders webinar that is going to be taking place on August 4th through 6th. And so here is a piece from Kevin Rashid Johnson, Bring Our Elders Home, an initiative to free American political prisoners and prisoners of war. The National Coordinating Committee of Prison Lives Matter has taken on the work of organizing to bring home our elder political prisoners and prisoners of war, who, as Comrade Kwame Shakur has pointed out, have been in many cases condemned to de facto death sentences within America's razor wire plantations. Many have been subjected to the hardships and torture of denied treatment for life-threatening medical conditions like cancer and hepatitis C. Some have died as a result. And Kevin Rushy Johnson is one of those um, uh, being de- who is being denied treatment for a life-threatening medical condition. All right. America's is the most sinister and deceitful of political systems. Built on genocide and forced enslavement of people of color, capitalist robbery of workers, and robbery of the entire underdeveloped world through colonialism and now neocolonialism, public lynchings of those who struggle to gain a foothold against its racist terror, and mass imprisonment to dispose of those who cannot be put to profitable use by the corporate forces that own and control the wealth and political power in society. No one should doubt the depths to which this system will descend to repress those who dare expose and challenge it. Counterintelligence has always been a part of its notions of self-preservation, hence the forced exiles and imprisonment and attempted eradication of political opponents. It's imperative that we bring these designs and the roles and plights of the victims of U.S. repression to public light, and not just to inform the masses, but to mobilize them to defend those who are being abused, neglected, and targeted with death because they struggle to expose and challenge this system in service to the people. In addition to other initiatives, PLM is organizing a webinar for the summer of 2023 
aimed at mobilizing awareness and support for freeing our elder, political prisoners, and POWs. We need maximum attention and support given to these events. Dare to struggle, dare to win, all power to the people. And you can find this and many, many other articles that Kevin Rashid has written by going to rashidmod.com. There you will see all of his commentary, all of his poetry, um, is just a, a plethora of, of work here on his website. All right. Well, speaking of his website, I found the poem Free Political Prisoners, which he did in 2023. So I'm going to have to read it. America has always denied holding political prisoners. They lied. From original panthers to anarchists and anti-imperialists, they've always exiled, executed, or locked away those who were serious. About challenging the status quo, removed so they couldn't show the masses the truth they know. How capitalism robs the working class, and America the Great was built on a past of slavery and genocide, invented racism designed to divide everyone at the bottom with lies to hide the corruption and abuse that still goes on, exploiting the entire globe, destroying homes, robbing third world resources, invasions, occupations, drone attacks, marginalizing blacks, assassinations that killed thousands more bystanders than actual targets, bombing weddings, funerals, and markets, and holy places which they managed to dismiss as collateral damage. Fact is, these soft targets are intentionally not missed because intended to sap the people's will to resist. Internally, the poor and people of color marginalized, oppressed nationalities racialized. A system sustained by real organized crime, by violence and mayhem of the worst kind. This is why there are scores and scores of political prisoners and prisoners of war right here in the USA whom we must struggle to free today. Mumia, Jamil Alamin, Leonard Peltier, Herman Bell, just a few who, for political reasons, are held in cells. David Gilbert, Robert Hayes, many more confined since way back in the days. And for those who managed to get free, most soon died from deadly disease, contracted while inside a roll call of some who died. Russell Maroon Schultz, Kathy Boudin, Marilyn Buck, Albert Woodfox, it wasn't bad luck. They were held until rendered frail and ill, deteriorated and forgotten, only then released from jail. Their memories must be revived, their praises sung, from the world's largest prison system, all must be sprung. Modern-day razor-wire plantations continuing to consume a new generation of the people's freedom fighters, including this writer and those that stand against the outrages the people deplore. Free all U.S. political prisoners and prisoners of war. All right, a powerful piece of poetry. Kevin Rashid Johnson really only writes, uh, does work that is motivational, educational, um, you know, insightful. It's gonna, it's gonna move you. It's gonna put, you know a fire under your butt and make you move. I do want to make a couple of corrections, though, because both Herman Bell and David Gilbert have been released. Herman Bell was released after 45 years in prison on April 27th, 2018, and David Gilbert was released in 2018. 
21 on November 4th. He spent 40 years in prison um, and came home at the age of 77. Still, the list is too long. All right, we are going to end with Umlabawanke by Msaki. the land, free all political prisoners, all power to the people. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.